Hello, credit union executives. Welcome to See You on the Show, where we give you up-to-date information on how you can reduce risk, keep key talent, and take a strategic approach to your personal financial wellness. Hosted by me, Doug English, a certified financial planner and former credit union insider with ACT Advisors. My guest on today's podcast is Steve Harkins. Steve is the retired CEO of SC Telco. Steve spent more than 30 years of his 40-year credit union career at SC Telco. And during his tenure, he oversaw a three-fold increase in membership and asset growth from $50 million to $400 million. In 2019, Steve received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Carolinas Credit Union Foundation in recognition of his dedication and leadership in the credit union movement. In this episode, Steve shares how he implemented his succession plan, including how he prepared his internal staff to become viable candidates and how he worked with his board. So Steve, tell us how you got started working with credit unions. Well, first, Doug, thank, thank you for this opportunity. My kids have always said I have a face for radio and podcasts, so now it has, in fact, come true. Can you imagine how many times they're going to listen to this over and over? Uh, hardly. Doug, I, I stumbled into credit unions, honestly, by accident. I had no knowledge of their mission. I had no knowledge. I, I grew up in a very small town in Pennsylvania that there was not a credit union in sight. And my dad was self-employed, so that was just not part of uh, not part of my world. But fortunately, I had gone to school in in North Carolina, and uh, fortunately, state employees of North Carolina was hiring what they then called a loan officer trainee class, and they took a chance on me. Roll the dice, and the jury was out for many years. But fortunately. Fortunately, they hired me on. So uh, in, in effect, when I started in 1979, yes, you young people will go, oh my God, this guy's old. I started with them and that then honestly uh, became my life's work because I retired from credit unions. I only worked for two during my entire career, but my, my career spanned from uh, early, early 79 to early 2020 when I retired as, as the CEO of what was then SC Telco. I spent almost 10 years at State Employees Credit Union, uh, which is the second largest credit union in the world. I worked my way up through through the ranks and the normal progression for, for them in and, and those days, worked my way up to becoming a, a VP. Of course, there were many VPs at at that organization, but uh, I was then recruited to South Carolina as the vice president of operations at what was then known as SC Telco, and uh, I was recruited by a former former boss of mine, a state employee's credit union. So here I am. I left the second largest credit union to go to a credit union that, in fact, their assets were smaller than the than the deposits in my branch at State Employees Credit Union. <laughs> Fortunately for me, it allowed me the opportunity to write policy rather than just implement somebody else's ideas. And that's what I wanted. I, I wanted a bit more autonomy, a bit more to understand the operations better rather, rather than you're going to get a memo and, and uh, 
on Friday, and guess what? We're going to start this on Monday. So uh, get get ready. So you come into SE Telco as VP of Operations. How long until you become CEO? It was six years later that, uh, and it was an unplanned departure by the CEO. The gentleman that brought me in ended up leaving the credit union, of which he, I don't think he had intended that when he, when he went there. It was somewhat unplanned, but but to his credit, he had taken me from the point when I was brought in, what I knew how to do was run a branch and make loans. And and to a degree, lead people. <laughs> That's essentially what you did in, in running a branch at State Employees Credit Union. Beyond that, I had no idea what the back office did. It was some succession planning by by my predecessor. Again, he didn't know he was leaving. He didn't know things would come about as they did. But he also knew that he needed additional strength on his team. And he also knew that I was ambitious and that I was going to be a CEO somewhere. So whether it was there or somewhere else, he was trying to help me prepare for that. So, And I'm, I'm, I'm indebted. So that's how you end up in the CEO chair. And now here you are as a retired CEO, enjoying the good life of uh, mountains and grandchildren and whatever else you darn well please. So look back on your uh, long career in credit unions and give us some some takeaways around uh, strategic planning and succession planning and best practices that you've seen and things that you've seen to make sure you don't do as well. Let me give the listener a little bit of context. So during my time as CEO, we grew from roughly 50 million to around 400 million during my tenure. Well, that's certainly by no means any kind of record, but it was pretty pretty good growth. Pretty good. Now, I'm going to I'm going to say before the listeners shut off the podcast right here because because I was not running a a billion dollar or multi-billion dollar shop. A couple of things I think they need to know about SC Telco which is now known as Sparrow Financial. But our credit union won back-to-back Forbes Best in State Awards. So the inception of that award, we won it. We subsequently won it the next year. And this is when I'm about almost out the door. And that is an award. One, it's voted on by the members. Two, only two, about 2% statistically uh, of credit unions in the country win that award. That's an exclusive club. So it is a very, very exclusive club. In addition to that, we had won a statewide best places to work award in a medium-sized category. You know, at that point, I think we had a little over 100 employees. And, and uh, again, based on feedback from our employees and the culture, very proud of our culture. And, and uh, that was, again, that was an award we won just prior to, to my retirement. And we had one other countless other awards in the community. Growing an institution 10x during your career is a very big deal. Well, again, it it was fine. Growth was not our primary objective, yet I know my mantra to the board is we're in a scale business, and if we don't achieve some measure of scale, we're just not going to be around. So I spent 28 years as a CEO before my planned retirement. And thankfully, from my perspective, our succession planning process worked well. There were a few bumps, but ultimately it worked. And my number two at the credit union was chosen as my successor. 
and he hit the ground running and has, has done very well. He took over just as the pandemic was coming about. And, and as they say, bless his heart, <laughs> he navigated it very well. They had just done a, a merger or partnership with, an, with another credit union. So he had that to deal with as well as the pandemic. And uh, to, to his credit, and I think to the credit of a lot of the work that we had done, he was, he was well prepared. I've seen succession planning work at a lot of large credit unions and work very well. I've seen the lack of succession planning at credit unions of all sizes, particularly some large ones that their process either was not what it, I think, should have been, or it certainly didn't work out like anybody had planned. So so with that, I, I'll give you my view, my take on succession planning. Please. Let's start first. The role of the CEO, in its simplest terms, create the vision for success, create the culture, and attract the talent needed to achieve that vision. Now, you can state the role in many different ways, but that's just my take on it. If you have a CEO that does those things and does those things well, then obviously you're going to be successful as an organization. And it cannot be understated how important having the right CEO to move into that slot, to that job, uh, whether it be a planned or unplanned. Unplanned is certainly trickier and it doesn't always work out as intended because you, sometimes you run out of time. I talked about the CEO's responsibility. Let's talk about the board. Now, what, what's the board's primary responsibility? Well, they're there to oversee the credit union, but the board has one employee, one and one only, okay? And their job is to hire, inspire, and challenge the CEO. Again, those are my words, but I think that's true. And their job is to make sure that they get the right CEO. And yet, many boards really don't understand succession planning. And I got to say most boards, let's be honest. And honestly, how could they? That was not part of their daily lives. The company worried about their succession planning because in, in a lot of cases, they had a large talent pools that they could move people in and somebody else that was you know, working through those decisions. And, and there wasn't one key person. Now, many of them worked for companies that had chairmen and CEOs. And yes, at the top, somebody was hopefully thinking about those things. Uh, of course, a very different dynamic at credit unions. Credit union CEOs tend to have long tenure versus Fortune 500 CEOs. Their tenure is about six or seven years, is, and that's that's from a couple of years ago. But but uh, they don't tend to stick around long, so it's a much different dynamic. And credit union boards have a long tenure as well, right? Some credit union board members on there for decades. Yes, very much, and some of it's a badge of honor how long they've been on the board. It just it, right? Good or bad, again, <laughs> I'm going to go on record as saying I had a very good board. We worked very well together. And, and in fact, I'll give you some of the, the wins that we had, some of the hurdles that we met in this process. But overall, I have to give credit to, to uh, our board. I think many CEOs don't do a, enough to prepare their senior staff to become viable internal candidates. Now, it's very tricky. I understand that. And sometimes you don't have the uh, folks internally that perhaps you should. But whose responsibility is that? It is the CEO to attract those people that have those capabilities. 
So then you end up with a situation that nobody's prepared internally. The long-term CEO leaves and everybody says, oh, crap, what do we do now? And hence, somebody comes in from the outside. It could be the best thing ever. It certainly could not be. And I know you roll the dice with an internal candidate. One of the discussions that I had with our board was that if we all did our job and the credit union was performing well, then you had good continuity. You didn't have change of direction. You didn't have strategy creep because you have somebody who's worked in the system, worked closely with me. And while we didn't have group think, we certainly did think a lot alike. So how do you prepare them? Like you've seen cranians that didn't prepare their senior staff. How do you prepare them for the, the just-in-case or the plan? So honestly, that falls largely on the CEO, and it's fine, okay? Or in those cases where nobody does anything about it, what happens is the board goes out and hires a search firm. And search firms have their place. I think there's some awfully good ones out there. I'm not condemning them at all, but I think they should be a part of the process. If you do it right, I don't think they should drive the process. If the cupboard is bare, they just have to go out in the marketplace and roll the dice and see what happens. So again, that's my opinion, but that is where the board ends up abdicating the responsibility at the last minute to, to a search firm say, oh my God, help us. We need somebody. So here's, here's what I did. I started my internal process several years before my anticipated retirement, and I knew what the date was, but I did that by expanding roles for a couple of key senior people and meant to test their capabilities, meant to... Certainly, as the organization grows, you, you, you've got to distribute more and more responsibility anyway. But ultimately, it was, it was a point you ideally would like to have more than one person that you are considering to have the potential. That's the best of all, all worlds. And then you want to see who rises to the top, right? We employed standardized assessments. We had used them throughout, but we did some different things to assess because your, your role is a, a VP, for example. That skill set is a little bit different than that of a CEO, right? Yeah, very much. You want to assess their abilities for the CEO role. The other thing we did was start a uh, development plans that were five years in, in length with regular follow-up. And the, the plan was really designed to fill gaps in their experience. Okay, both internally as well as increase their exposure to external organizations or leadership opportunities in whether it be in, in credit union organizations or, or the community, that being such a big part of the, the CEO's job. So we, I wouldn't call it extremely strategic, but we just laid out a roadmap. And, and part of it was based on my experience, what I had seen. Or things that I wish I had done a little differently, whether it be a civic club. Mine was like, don't join the one that I was the president of. You need to go join another. And you need to join one that uh, had more members and a bit more influence than the one that, that I had been in. Looking at what kind of roles they could fill in organizations in credit union land, right? Where could they get involved? Would it be the corporate? Would it be the credit union foundation? Would it be the league board? Would it be committees? Those kind of things. So all in the, the effort to uh, get them used to that. CEOs, from my perspective, are very dependent upon their network out there. 
right? We are a, a business that cooperates, collaborates. The more folks that you can pick up the phone, you know them, you know them well. As a CEO, it never hurts to pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm working on something. Give me your thoughts on it. Have you tried this? What worked well? What didn't? And you got to get to know people for them to, to share that. Some won't. Some just are not going to talk about their failures. But your closest friends will tell you uh, those things that they would certainly done different. So that was all part of that process. I want to restate what I think I heard to make sure the listeners are getting it. What I heard is so when you're trying to grow your senior VPs into potential CEOs and kind of let them self-select with their skill set, you give them the opportunity you expand their roles both internally, as you do anyways, as a credit union scales, and then you plug them into industry leadership roles, roles in the community, community leadership roles, and then you're sort of evaluating their uh, ability to execute strategically in those roles. Is that how it works? Yes, very much. You hit it very succinctly there. Good. <laughs> So that leads to what I'll say is, is a key point. You got to align the org- organization and the organizational chart for the upcoming transition. Okay. Do it well before you retire. Obviously, you don't wait till the last minute. And one other very key thing, when you identify those key people, you need to lock them down. Let's back up to those titles. Uh, is that what you're talking about? You're, you're going to identify different titles to tell the organization who the heir apparent is? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that was part of it. There were promotions involved to say these folks are taking on more responsibility. And, and oh, by the way, they are the future of this credit union. And obviously, anybody that looked at me with all this gray hair said, you know, he's not going to be around that long. So, who is, who is the future? Because you want to reassure everybody, every stakeholder, that the organization's in good hands. So yes, that, that was all part of it. Can you give me an example from what title to what other title? Well, in, in our case, it was from VP to senior VP, and then I gave them a C title. So they might have been CFO, COO. Okay, so I created those, and, and every credit union does it differently. Ultimately, I will tell you that, and this was my next step, that when the front runner, who ultimately became my successor, when he emerged as, as the front runner, or at least in my eyes, and I couldn't, I couldn't speak for the board, the board was not going to let me select my successor. They were very clear about that. We want your advice on the process, but we do not want you involved in making this selection, which is fine. And for me, I was okay with that. When I had one candidate that emerged as best suited for the job, I promoted him to the EVP. Now, this took place three years before my retirement. The newer in vogue for that is the heir apparent is named the president. So you then have a CEO and a president. I talked to my board about that. They found that too confusing. They didn't want to have that structure. They're like, no, we have one president, CEO. So I said, okay, I'll make him executive vice president over the entire organization, which sent a clear message to everybody concerned that he is in a position to earn the CEO job. 
That was the next step that I made. It was progressive, right? Five years out, I made some title changes to senior VP, and there's no magic in the timing of this, and role expansion. So all this worked into the plan. And then secondly, the heir apparent in my mind became the EVP. So you expand the responsibilities, plug them into the uh, community. You watch that uh, behavior looking for strategic leadership there. You decide on who your lead candidate is, and then you change the title to uh, clearly uh, indicate that that's the, uh, the succession plan. So the next step, I imagine, is making sure that they stick around, right, Steve? Absolutely. A key element of you do all this work and you're developing people, well, other credit unions are going to notice. And, and of course, your own people are going to realize how marketable they are. So then all of a sudden, you got to make sure that those people stick around to uh, make your plan work. What we did with the board's support, and I'm, I'm thankful the board agreed to this, but we then said, these are key people. We need to offer executive benefits like a 457F plan or perhaps a split dollar plan to retain them, to lock them in through the point of my retirement. Yeah, I've heard other uh, CEOs uh, suggest that the vesting of the 457F or the collateral assignment isn't for a couple of years after the former CEO's retirement, so they don't uh, to sort of stagger those vesting dates. What are your thoughts about that? I've seen that as well. If it's the right person, I don't think it matters. Because quite honestly, they just, most of them go in and renegotiate all that anyway. Okay, so then perhaps the F plan is still out there, but then they agree on a collateral sign split dollar. You're going to need to up the benefits to the CEO level. And I see it in my uh, financial planning work. There's no way a, a senior VP can be promoted as CEO and get the salary increase and then be able to save a reasonable percentage of their income because they're capped out from the ERISA regulations. So the only way they can close that gap is with the help of the credit union and some kind of executive benefit structure. Right. Yeah, regardless of how it's it's structured. And I, and I understand making the cliff vesting schedule. As long as it retains them, that's all that matters. So you're going to have some kind of split dollar plan that's going to keep them in the role. Now, I think you, you said a story of when it didn't. Can you tell us a little bit about the situation you saw? Yeah, not to name names, but, you know, I know of a credit union that, that spent a lot of time and effort trying to prepare candidates. And, and honestly, their top candidate near when the current CEO was getting ready to retire, their best candidate got picked off by somebody else and left the organization. So their plan fell apart. Now, do you know, had they done the other step that you just mentioned, had they sort of defended the role? I can't say that definitively. I, I don't know. And if they had an executive benefit, it obviously was not structured in the way that retained them. I know there's a lot more dynamics. It's not just money. I mean, and somebody else can come in and offer a, a similar or better benefit. Yeah, they can always buy it out, right? You can have a, a great collateral assignment plan and someone can put a better collateral assignment. Yes. You need to have something is the takeaways. You need to find the person, train the person, select the person, get the title right and then essentially insure against them leaving with 
a defensive economic a golden handcuffs style strategy. That's excellent guidance for our, our uh, listeners. So when you look back and think about sort of the key steps that you took or the key steps that you saw somebody else took that, that you wish you had, what do you go back and say, hey, hey, current CEOs, here are some things to think about beyond what we've already covered? I think that gets to the next point. I began with the board's knowledge and support. I began to step back in board meetings and give my heir apparent, the EVP, the opportunity to present initiatives, field the board's questions, objections, and function essentially as they would as the CEO. So it's an odd situation after you've done it for 25 plus years to sit back and to allow that to happen. But that's the growth component that needed needed to occur. The other thing that the current chairman and I decided that the heir apparent, the EVP, would lead our planning session a couple of years before I retired. And in fact, he and the incoming chair were the ones that ran the sessions, okay, while the current chair and I were merely participants. I think that that timeline is a really big deal, Steve. So two years before you retired, the EVP and the incoming chair ran the planning session. Yes. Three reasons. Experience, it's a test, and the other thing being buy-in. Because largely, it was not the current chairman's plan, and, and we were very inclusive. We tried to make sure there was consensus. The mantra was the board speaks with one voice. And they always believed in that, and I credit them for doing that. But you also know that those who are leading, it's more of their plan than it is those who are just merely participants. The other thing I did, came up with the idea to write a white paper on a number of strategic topics going into strategic planning. And the EVP and I took on that task. It ended up taking on a life of its own. It was 70 plus pages by the time we got finished. Now that's a book, Steve. It is a book. And when we got in the session, you knew who read it in terms of the board. You knew who uh, had, had only skimmed it. But the point was to use his strategic muscle to exercise that. It was a great test. He did extremely well with it. And it helped the board see his ability to, to think strategically. And it also set the planning session up very well because it gave us a lot of meat to dive into. Steve, talk to me more about the board's involvement in the succession planning process. So our board formed a little over two years in advance of my retirement. They formed a CEO succession planning committee of the board. And I created a folder where I provided them every article I could find from credit union land as well as beyond credit unions and, and banks on CEO succession planning. I also gave them a couple sample timelines with, with the processes, the steps that I had read and seen, and, and, and some of it was from what I had witnessed in, in some other credit unions, and then gave that to them to, to consider as a template for them to, to work through. How far in advance do you do that? Is that five years out, three years out? I started a little over two years before. In retrospect, I should have started sooner because I'm going to tell you it's a rare credit union board that acts swiftly. I would start at least three years out. At least three years before planned retirement. Okay. 
I would. They started this process with great vigor, but like most volunteer boards, they have lives, they have jobs, or they're retiring and enjoying their retirement. And to get them to move and tackle some of these things, which are not easy, it took a lot of regular prodding. Okay. And again, I had a, I had a good board, so I can't condemn that as a subpar board. They were a very good board, but expect process and the board to take longer than anticipated. All right. One of the other things, board involvement, I got them a couple years in advance. I asked them to do a survey, uh, just a very simple survey to rate the executive vice president's readiness on a percentage basis, readiness to be the CEO at that moment. You surveyed the opinion of the board on the EVPs or the employees on the EVPs? The board on the EVPs readiness. And if they gave him a score of 80%, for example, so what is missing? I had them to articulate what they thought was missing. And the clear thing in some cases is, well, they don't have the experience. Well, we know that. That's a given, okay? But there may be other things. And if there were other things that were things that they perceived, then I shared those with the EVP so that he knew what, in, in the eyes of the board, what those gaps may be. So one, it was done for them to, to acknowledge, because honestly, they rated him, and that's why he ultimately got the job. They rated him very highly. They did. Now, that's quite dangerous. So they came back and said, yeah, well, they're, they're 30% ready at, at, this, at this moment. Well, then you got to have a discussion. And I was prepared to have that discussion about, so what are the, what are the gaps from your perspective? I didn't share my cards, okay? I didn't reveal anything. You didn't share your opinion. You said, what is your opinion, board? What is yours? And then I came back and said, okay, here was your rating. Here's mine. That's a great idea. First time I've heard that idea. That's a great idea. Have your board rate the current EVPs on their readiness to be CEO. And then identify the gap between their current skill set and what they need work to close that gap. Great idea. And you could do it if you had two two candidates that were kind of neck and neck, okay? Because whoever emerges is going to work for the board. So you want to make sure the board is is comfortable as well. The other thing, and, and there are, I said there were a few bumps in the process, and any good leader will tell you, you make a plan, but you better expect something to come up, right? Muhammad Ali, everybody has a plan until you get hit in the mouth. <laughs> something like that. I mean, <laughs> you got to understand that. Our board was insistent upon doing a national search. They felt like it was their fiduciary responsibility to the 60,000 plus members we had to put this job out and search nationally. They're right, their responsibility. So I gave them the names of several search firms, then our SVP of HR worked basically developed an RFP to send out to these search firms. And here was the interesting thing. One, it took so long for them to do that. That was only a year before my planned retirement. Well, there's no way they could have done a search, effectively negotiated with a, a single candidate and had them in place before my retirement. That would not have happened. There's no way, or it would have been a flawed process. Yeah, so if they're going to do that, 
when do they need to start? Is that a three years out or is that? I think 18 months to two years out. And they'd have to talk to the search firm and they'd have to, to really figure out themselves what their commitment level is, how quickly they want to manage that process. When you get in the midst of that, it's not ideal to string that thing out. You need to work through it and work through it systematically and, and regularly, right? And hold those meetings, not go, well, we'll meet again next month. Well, you may lose a good candidate in, in the interim while you're twiddling your thumbs. Especially with the way the market is for CEOs now. Yes. Here's one of the other observations. Boards want to talk about that, and I understand their thought in, in that regard. Our board, once they found out the price tag on that, got sticker shock and said, oh, my goodness, it's the cost of doing business. But it was one that then board said, well, maybe we have a really great candidate in-house. Maybe there are other ways that we can show that we've done our job. And that, that was one of the last things that they, they did. They abandoned that, that national search. But through some advice, we hired C. Myers. And C. Myers works with credit unions in a lot of capacities. We hired them to help evaluate the EVP's readiness and fit for the job. So they basically coached the board through a process to, to do these things. And frankly, uh, C. Myers is, they're one of the few firms that, that I would have felt comfortable with. Not that I had any say-so uh, or much say-so in that. NCUA comes into credit unions and said, you got to have a succession plan, particularly for your CEO. And it needs to be organization, an organizational succession plan. But okay, they talked about that. But then who's out there? And quite honestly, there's a lot of opportunity to help credit unions to do this and credit union boards. So our board backed up and had C. Myers go through that, put my successor through the, uh, through the process. And my successor knew and I knew he would fare very, very well. That's an interesting alternative to a national search. I will uh, talk to them and see if that might be appropriate content to dig in a little bit more on a future podcast. In the workplace, we're in a war for talent. And the credit union industry as a whole has a lot of work to be done to, to win that war. I think it's improved. And the larger credit unions get, I think their ability to compete is certainly better. But you've got to have a good process from starting with your board through your CEO to do this kind of planning, to, to make these kind of commitments, to fund executive retention plans and, and all those things if you're going to win this, this war for talent. Because organizations with the best talent and the best leadership always win. There's no doubt about it. I simply hope my perspective will help others. I wish good luck to those that take on the task head on, however they choose to approach it. I probably need to wish even better luck to those that don't take this thing head on because uh, their credit union is probably going to need it. They may roll the dice and hire the best CEO they could possibly find, but you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, and life has a habit of surprising you, right? I mean, you might be a CEO that was planning to stay in that position for a decade or more, and you have a health uh, concern and that happens to you or your spouse, or other family members, and, and you've got you've to make a change. And then this whole process could be accelerated in a, in a dramatic way. Absolutely. Excellent, Steve. Well, thank you for taking the time. One of the beautiful things about credit unions is that it is an industry 
of people helping people, each organization helping the other. And I hope that uh, uh, your wisdom uh, can help other members of the industry to be more successful. Well, I hope so. And I will be glad to talk individually with anybody that wants a bit more information. I'm happy to share. That's all the insider credit union knowledge we have for this episode. Are you enjoying the conversation? Be sure to subscribe and share your thoughts with other credit union leaders by leaving us a review. See you next time on See You on the Show. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual security. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly.